lights on, numbers moving, or is it numbers on, lights moving? I don't know. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> it works. <laughs> okay. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio. This is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 132 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we have some fun stuff to talk about today. We sure do. We have... Just real briefly, the discussion of the FAQ that came out for the Dawnbringers 2 book and the Iron Jaws supplement. Mm-hmm. It addresses some of what we've talked about as being, hey, this seems a little silly. The other thing in the majority of the show will be Dan will be talking about his Dragonfall tournaments and I will be talking about my Vault Wars tournaments experience. Yep. And, and that'll be the show. <laughs> a lot to talk about in pre-orders, probably a little bit to talk about in hobby, and you know, you'll get to... Here some tournament recaps for the both of us. Uh, normally it would be both of us talking about Dragonfall, but me, new location, yep. uh, can't, can't make all these tournaments anymore. Got to make choices, as always. Yep. Yeah, and there's actually this huge dump of new releases in Scriptorium. I was just shocked when I looked at all the stuff that's come out. We'll talk about that as well. With that, we are moving on right away to Whispers from the War. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan Mann, what are you working on? Yeah, I'm building all sorts of things. The, oh, okay. I'm going to be buying Balthanos. And yes. So part of what I'm doing oh, is yes. I have one more box of Kurnoths, and obviously there are Kurnoths in the Balthanos box. So I'm building my 7th, 8th, and ninth Kurnoth Hunter with Scythe. Oh, okay. So the ones that come in the box with Balthanos will be my 7th, 8th, and ninth Sword Hunter. Because mm. I have 9 Bow Hunters, and I don't know a world in which I'm going to need more than that, but maybe <laughs> I will. I have that to work on. I really like the new Dragon model. I got my hands on a partially built Krondis pretty cheap, so mm-hmm. working on finishing that up. But yeah, that's been that. I obviously finished up my stuff for Vault Wars, so I finished painting up my Ether Wings, my Knight and Cancer, my last three Sword Hunters that I needed, mm-hmm. and then updating my bases and the paint scheme on some of my older Sylvaneth models to match at least better what my uh, Adepticon Sylvaneth stuff was. I can't go back and fully repaint some of this stuff, but like, no, I'll just yeah. update some of the highlighting and some of the runes and stuff like that, and you know, cool. we, we go from there. There can be a small difference between some of those models. I don't know that anyone's really going to pitch a fit about it. Sure, yeah. That's what I've got. You sent me an interesting photo last night, Dan. I Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really was struck by the coolness of the new Norn Emissary, or Norn Assimilator, depending on how you build it. But, you know, I put it next to, like, a Space Marine, after I built it, and this model is freaking huge. I had a friend who sent me a picture of one of them next to a hive tyrant. You think about a hive tyrant, it's pretty big, right? This thing's like twice as big as a hive tyrant. It's monstrous. When I saw the model, I said, you know, Winter Project, 
I want to build and paint one of these suckers. It just is such a cool looking model. And You've got a lot of projects lined up for the winter. Yes. So this is on that list with my corn army and... Balthanos. Balthanos. Yep. Well, maybe some more swords. I might throw in some Rev Seekers now. We'll see how that all goes as we talk through Sylvaneth and the changes in the book and what's worthwhile and what's not in this new Dawnbringers. But I also have started building a mystery army. I'm going to throw that out there as a teaser. Probably Even people, I don't know the mystery it, army. Yes, this is right. There's only two people in the world that know this. And now the one of them is me. So, um, <laughs> And I'm negotiating with the other one. So, <laughs> so I'm working on this. I built, I, I don't know. 15, 20 models, something like that. It struck me this would be a really cool army to take. I don't know if it's just gonna be a thousand points or what it's gonna be. So I've been working on that and that's been helpful as I've been trying to work through some audiobooks and stuff uh, to have that hobby to do. Do we get to know what range? Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Nothing. No reveals yet. Just a new army. That'll be very interesting. So yeah, so we've both been pretty busy. I think it's interesting how we're both doing this Sylvana thing right now. It's kind of fun actually. <laughs> I've intentionally tried to stay away from playing the same army as you at the same time for no reason other than it creates a diversity of discussion. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Like when we're on the show, right? Yeah, you yeah. Know, if we were both playing Night Haunt at exactly the same time for that period, like we would just be a Night Haunt podcast at that sure, point. Like, of course. But I think part of that, on the other hand, is that we'd have very different lists. With the, maybe the exception of your Oakenbrow list, that was a sub-faction that did very well for a while last mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. I think it's still quite good, especially once they got that first pass of point changes on the Tree Lord and got them into the realm of correct. That was interesting. If I had been spending more time on it, I'd certainly be looking at the Sylvaneth lists that have been very successful recently, which have been using Alariel. Yeah, um, interestingly enough. But I do not presently have the time or wherewithal to decode that particular list mm -hmm. to understand you know how it plays opponents and how it plays missions and what your sequencing of battle tactics looks like because it at least outside looking in feels very lever pulley where you have to make sure that you're doing mm. the right thing at the right time kind of like some of my older nagash lists where there was a sequence of things you wanted to do and where you wanted to be on the board and engaging with you know, specific units at a specific time. Sure. But I'll let players who understand that army better than me tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> okay. That's it then for hobby. And we're going to move on to pre-orders. Cities, cities, and more cities. Everything you could want in the cities book, including the cities book, is out there for purchase. We got the two boxes. We got the Stormwing with the new Stormcast hero with that amazing looking dragon. And we also got the Blades of Belthanos box with him and some other buddies. So those things are all sitting out there pre-order wise. Well, finally the Marine stuff is all dropped because it was a two week pre-order. We got a potload of war bands that are out there. The new Heresy rulebook, the Exemplary Battles volume one is out. They got a tax squad. They got their Derradeo. Dread is out. All that stuff. Pilgrim Transfigured. Yep. Pre-order. Mm-hmm. What else? In the preview, and then Belthanos and the Stormcast guy, we're not going to talk about them because they're going to be discussed when we talk about the Next book. Next show. Yeah. The Necron decks and that weird-looking Stormlord guy was out. We saw that. I just don't like that model at all. I mean, the, his cape looks like a cobblestone street. It just is goofy looking. That Admech Stiltman. 
I don't know. So weird. What they were thinking, <laughs> whoever did that. There's kill team stuff. There was, I think it's Marines and striking scorpions and then old world bretonia now i'll be interested to hear what you think about that the models just looked like the same yeah like there's nothing new there it's, some of them yeah. are the old kits yeah which is wild to me i am fascinated to know and see and understand what the release for this game is going to look like because like if it's just a bunch of old models that weren't updated and <laughs> As much as I don't like some of it, you know, going to resin on the Forge World side, like, I do understand, you know, some of their more specialty game, Horse Heresy, being, you know, special upgrade stuff being Forge World. I understand the upgrade kits and special characters and stuff being over there. Fine. You know it's the niche game. You don't want to do it in volume. That's why you tool up for resin. Got it. Sure. But, like, at least everything in Horus Heresy is a new kit. Yes, to see the old trebuchet <laughs> i don't get it I, I just don't get it because they've had so much time to do something different you know again I, i'm just perplexed when i saw that it's like okay fine somebody's gonna love this and that's great anyway games played other than sigmar how about you what have you been up to a little bit of madden a little bit of cyberpunk yeah, so I'm up to level 45 in Cyberpunk. I'm getting to the place where I'm about ready to like actually start doing main quest things and, and get my... So apparently you can't unlock the DLC without getting to a certain point in the main quest. Oh. Because like, I got to a point where I was like, I should be at a level where this is like available. And you know, like I figured you'd get like a, you know, a call from a, a mystery number. Be like, oh, like, cool, we finally get to start it. And like, unless they've moved the level cap, right? 45 is of 50 so i've been doing that that's been fine the other thing i'm trying to do in madden is acquire as many first round picks and do silly things with that so that's been fun i don't know i felt like playing the games in madden have become a little monotonous which is weird because like i've played ncaa 14 for literally a decade and like i'm never bored whatever i guess crazy i have continue to do Starfield. And it's funny you mentioned how, you know, the main quest finally getting into that because I've just been having such a good time, like clearing the orbitals of pirates, you know, and doing other things, little adventures I encounter and, you know, talking to this person and then going after that thing. I've actually surveyed completely two planets, which is kind of neat. I don't feel like I had to go into the main storyline, but I did. I finally got into that. And I actually got to open... It's kind of like the Dragonborn thing where you get those different shouts, right? And it's kind of like that where you find artifacts and they start activating these nascent powers that you have. You can create a gravity well or you can push people back or you can do stuff, you know? So I've got a couple of those, which has been interesting because I really wasn't expecting it. I knew it was out there somewhere, but it just kind of snuck up on me. It was kind of fun. It was different. So I'm still enjoying that. And, you know, again, the thing with this and the next game I'm going to talk about is this just requires like an hour and a half, two hours to sit down. You really got to spend some time with Starfield, I think, in order to enjoy it. You can't just jump in for 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour and jump out again because it just takes more time to get stuff done. You know, there are more steps in the process in a lot of these things you need to do. The other thing I did kind of on a whim was Dark Tide, which is this first person shooter 40K thing where there's this group of 
convicts that had been rescued from the Inquisition. And there's a team of four people and you go into the underhive to fight chaos things. And man, I have just had a blast with this, Brendan. And I am not a first person shooter kind of guy. Okay. But it has just been so enjoyable. And it's kind of like games you talk about where you just pick it up and you play it for half an hour and you go on and do something else. And you could be one of four things. You could be an ogren. You can be a um, veteran. You can be a zealot or you can be a psyker. So you have those four choices. I've tried everything except the psyker so far. The story's kind of meh, it's all right. But the two things that are amazing about this game is first, the art, like the graphics. You absolutely feel like you are just in the basement of this city. Like it's just awesome. so well done. And the other thing that is just insanely cool is the voice acting. <laughs> the Ogren just comes out with these things you just, uh, I, I couldn't even play. I was laughing so hard. It was just so great. It's so entertaining. I've had such a blast playing this thing. I mean, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's certainly when it originally came out and I saw people posting about it on Twitter, I was like, that seems like a fun game. And I'm glad that yeah. the actual experience is fun. Sigmar Games. Well, we're going to talk about Dragonfall and Vault Wars. So that'll do it there. Events. We have RockCon coming up just this next weekend, which is awesome. So probably the day after I post this or the day that I post this, I'll be driving to Rockford for that. I can't remember how many years. It's been like 15 or 20 years I've been going to this now. Warpstorm has another RTT the week after. Signed up for that. Yep, to so the 11th. Yep, Holy Havoc is the same weekend, I believe. And then you're headed to Worlds the week after that. Yeah, Worlds. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing of both your adventures and your travails. My goal is to go four and four. Okay. That is my stated goal for Worlds. For the very long weekend. Okay, yeah. That's it. I think other than I know we're going to have an RTT in January again because they're doing it every two months. But the other thing is we're starting to kind of get into that window for Adepticon. We are. I'm sure we're going to start having event descriptions posted soon. I'm sure we'll start. It's usually like a month or so after that that we get event signups going. Mm -hmm. But it's coming that up. should be going on. Yep. All right. We are headed for Emperor Lies. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So Emperor Lies, I have a question for you, Brendan. Okay. Did we fix Giants and Grunstock? Giants, absolutely. With the Giants mechanic, right, to refresh people on what we talked about episode, the big issue was the shooting mechanic allowing you to teleport what could be your whole army into your opponent's face and spells out, you know, how and when those models are placed. And then also a grand strategy that was actually impossible. I do believe the Giants bit has been fixed okay. for the Grunstock. This one of the silliest mechanics has been absolutely addressed. I'm not sure it's done much necessarily for the play experience. They have done some things to tamp that down, but you can still run an army with a bunch of Thunderers and Gun Haulers and potentially have double the number of shooting phases, but you are not afraid of the 15 blocks right. because now they have to walk across the battlefield, and that makes them remarkably easier to deal with. I would uh, much rather see five thunders in my face. Of five than one unit of 15. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely agreed on that particular front. No arguments there. All right. We were talking before the show. I have to say I'm pleased that they didn't address it out the gate. We all agree on that. But I'm 
really happy that they did address it at least in a timely manner instead sure. of letting it sit out there over you know another couple tournaments and that kind of thing that it's done and it seems that most people are pretty satisfied with what they've done that's good stuff you want to talk about the specifics of what the changes are sure i think they're worthwhile okay so let's do that with king broad the thing that they changed is that the terrain feature that you pick does not have any monster keywords units wholly or partially on that piece of terrain so if mm. you mm have towed on to that terrain, you can't throw it. You have to be within an inch of it, but you can't be on it in any way, shape, or form. And then it explains how you set up the models and what order they occur, who does what first. Okay. And then it also spells out that it's an additional shooting profile on top of your already existing shooting profile. Oh, nice. Which is, okay. That's really Which is good. great. It's not a trade situation, which... It certainly seemed to be originally. Yeah. Obviously not huge, but that's nice. And then they changed the grand strategy in broads to pieces of terrain that are wholly or partially within enemy territory, mm-hmm. which is doable now as opposed right. to before. Every single um, one, yeah. <laughs> they do have to straighten up the language again, because uh, when they wrote it, when the battle ends, you complete this battle tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not right. a battle tactic. It's a grand strategy, <laughs> right. but I would be stunned if a TO didn't let you use it correctly. In the Iron Jaws supplement, we got an update to how the monster's action works. So it allows you to charge even though you would technically be in combat and that you can pass across models of wounds characters who are four or less in the same manner as a unit that can fly. Mm-hmm. I would not have predicted this. All of the precedent for similar rules would have said that you can't charge in those instances, but I think that's well needed because specifically the Maugrunt faction is not particularly good Mm -hmm. this is also applicable in iron jaws and certainly makes the units more worthwhile grunstock expeditionary force they fix the gun hauler move to be you can pick up to two friendly units with a total combined model count of six or less Mm -hmm. which is what it should have been so a unit of five and a character of some kind of hero exactly that's exactly it and that's Mm -hmm. what it should have been from the start and that's what makes the most sense Anything that has the leader battlefield role doesn't gain the battle line battlefield role anymore, which is fine. That's not a huge deal. There were some funny edge cases about that. They spell out that when you unleash hell, you have to target the same unit that you were unleashing hell before. Because what you could do, if you wipe the unit that you had unleashed held on, oh, um, yes. you could have targeted a different unit. If with you the, rolled your four the, up, yeah, okay, yep. sure. That's now, if you were within three inches of that unit still, you still had to shoot them, but... If you had wiped the unit that charged, you could have targeted something else that would be within range of your regular guns, not restricted to the six-inch range. That's bad. And then they also had the FAQ section where they let you know that, no, you can't take Kragnos (laughs) in a Grunt of Stampede or a King Broad Stomps Army, which is fine. I don't know that you were necessarily going to be doing that in any of those situations, but it was absolutely unclear if you could or couldn't. So okay. some good questions answered all around, some good corrections made. I still don't love the way Expeditionary Force works with the four up. You can do it, but the biggest defensive part of that was the issue with the 15 that you could teleport, sure. do all your stuff, and basically be untouchable. But now if you see 15, go, awesome, fantastic. They can't get to me for a couple of battle rounds anyway, so <laughs> right. we're off to the races. Okay, thank you for that. Good. So shall we move on and talk about our tournament experiences? Yeah, uh, I say we do that. You went to Vault Wars, uh, Tyler's yeah. event there, and then I went to Dragonfall, which is Mark's event in Wisconsin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Vault Wars, just briefly, 
you know, arriving at the venue, that kind of general stuff. Yeah, so Vault Wars is a 10-hour drive for me. Dragonfall is now roughly 8-ish, so I had to I had to pick one big travel event in October. I drove down with Nick from Indianapolis, so I drove to his place mm-hmm. the true, yeah. Thursday night, and then we drove down together Friday morning. We went to Lambert's with the big group again. Oh, yes, that was wonderful last year. Oh, gosh, I love that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun where they throw the rolls at you and, yeah. and do do <laughs> sure. all that jazz. Yeah, it's fun. But the format for Vault Wars is pretty similar to what I've tried to encourage in events that I run, where there are specific list-building-oriented awards. So the big one this year was the Highlander Award, which was build a legal 2,000-point army with at least nine unique war scrolls that are not terrain, endless spells with no repeats within them. You could mm-hmm. reinforce the units, but you can't have, you know, for instance, say two units of sword Kurnoth hunters. You could have a unit of sword hunters and a unit of scythe hunters, and those are distinct units because they are unique war scrolls. Sure. And the highest-placing player in that category won a Scottish Claymore that was special made for the event. You know, that was what I had built my list for. I was trying to compete in that category. One of the things I wanted to do with the event is also use it as potential prep for Worlds. Certainly because I haven't, you know, not exactly currently in the habit of playing, you know, certainly what we used to do sometimes, Dan, which is a game or two every week. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just to prep for events. Yeah, Really, 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 really working through different list iterations. I was getting five games in, learning about how Sylvaneth plays in that five-game structure, mm-hmm. and then helping that to inform my decision on what I was, what I'm going to do in Atlanta. Okay, that's the front end of Vault Wars for me. Your trip, markedly easier, <laughs> markedly shorter. It's even with a quick stop, you know, at Quick Trip, it's an hour and a half. It's very easy. So I went down Friday night because I wanted to kind of help set up and everything. There were 37 tables that needed to be set up Friday night because there were initially 74 people for this. It was monstrous compared to last year, really grew. And so I got there about 7.30, quarter to eight. Well, the venue did not have like half the tables that Mark needed. (laughs) So, you know, his crew was there and there were some other of us that got there to help. So he's just like, hey, go get dinner. Come back at 8.30. <laughs> so we did. And by the time we got back, they had the table's there. We got them set up. It was interesting how he, you know, he does a lot of 3D printing and he had printed a great deal of terrain. And what he did was have five realms represented in the tables. And the terrain matched certain realms you know like there was the realm of black stone an award he did was whoever traveled in the most realms during the tournament and that would all depend on which tables you play at obviously got an award for that for the best traveler or something which was really interesting the other thing that was different for me was there was kind of a dearth of terrain i was surprised on a fair amount of the tables not all of them there were several tables that only really had five pieces of terrain there was one in the dead center and then there were four kind of halfway between the corner and the center okay. uh, in the different you know table quarters which as a sylvaneth player especially in game one really had an effect yeah, you were thrilled with <laughs> it's like that between that and the battle plan right one of the things that's interesting is he does do faction awards you know so every single faction best player in that faction got something as long as they're not the only player playing that faction so that was the setup and then we got started first thing on saturday so all right let's talk about game one why don't you talk to us about your game one at vault wars yeah so game one i technically got a buy (laughs) 
I was the lucky winner of that, but the person assigned to playing the ringer in that game was Tyler, and <laughs> Tyler and I haven't played since 2017. Oh my gosh. Um, so I said, you know, so Tyler comes over and, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, you get the full max win points or whatever. He's like, we can still play or whatever. I said, Tyler, I said, the only way I want to play this game is if you play for real. He's like, okay, well, you know, I got to make some changes, you know, for what the models are physically represented. I said, that's fine. As long as you know what it is, you know, I'm good with that. But, you know, if I don't want to be pandered to, right? You know, like, right. I want to, number one, understand what my army does, understand the situations. You know, I also asked that we play with the chess clock so that I understood, yeah. you know, how fast I needed to play, right? Because as you know, Dan, as a Sylvaneth player, there's a lot of decisions to make. Yes. Um, and if you're not making them quickly, they can really add up, and you can be the slow player at that table. Yes. Okay. It also helps that Tyler was cool with it because he knows himself as a notoriously slow player. So that worked out pretty good. Brendan, um, we ended up... excuse me, I'm sorry. Tell us about your list. Sure. Okay. I was playing Sylvaneth. I brought a Heartwood list, so that is I get to pick three enemy units on the table after deployment, but before the first turn, that my army gets to be plus one to hit against. Yes. I've got a Warsong with Spellsinger and Vesperal Gem with Treesong, pretty standard loadout. Mm-hmm. I brought a Branch Witch with the Return Model spell, Virtuous Harmony. I brought a Knight and Cantor, who obviously can't take anything. I had two Sylvaneth heroes in Andorian Acolytes. Okay. And the rest of my army is going to be in a Battle Reg. And I took a unit of 20 Dryads, a unit of 5 Tree Revs, a unit of 6 Kurnoth Hunters with Swords, a unit of 6 Spite Rider Lancers, and a unit of 3 Ether Wings, 2,000 points even. And the reason they're Ether Wings is because I really wanted that Knight and Cantor, and Spite mm. Revs are 80 points, and Ether Wings are 70, okay. and Encanter was 120. <laughs> okay. And I brought a Tree Lord. And then also, of course, the Spite Swarm Hive, because y you have to. Because, yeah. You know, going into it, I felt like I maybe wasn't going to have the punching power that some other lists would have. You know, Dan, as you know, the Tree Lord can really do some work oh, yeah. when it gets into the right situations. Trying to land Strike and Fades in the right spots with the right units. Kurnoth's, as I found, are exceptionally tanky when you use them correctly. Yes. That's what I was bringing. And Okay. You know, there were certainly some changes I had in mind going into the weekend as to what was going to come out for Worlds, just as the starting point, because this, in my mind, is not a tournament-winning list. Certainly not amongst a field of 80 to 100 players who are all attending an event because they had won a tournament previously. Right. I was more looking for what works for me, what doesn't, how do I accomplish my battle tactics, you know, how do I play mm. these missions, what looks good, and then also, you know try and win as many games as I could within that framework and go from there. Sure. We were playing every step is forward, so that's the mission where if you charge, you count as an additional model. If you retreat, you don't count as any. It's pretty key. Obviously, I don't have a ton of units, so all of the missions are going to be a little bit tough where I have to just be patient. No throwing away units early for the purposes of trying to get on objectives, trying to grab more mm. if it leaves you know, one of my units hanging out in the wind. It's better to just go one, two, battle tactic, get your four points, and then hopefully make up the difference later. Okay. Which you'll find is a theme that I ended up learning around game three. Tyler was playing his Stormcast, and I don't have his list because he didn't post a ringer list and the models he had were different than what they were in some instances but he had the unit of quester soul sorn he had the celestant prime he had a knight and cancer he had a relictor he had one of the generals on the dracon the dracolus the old vandas hammerhand model okay um, yeah 
a unit of four concussors, a couple of libs, a unit of ten vindictors. I think that was it. So in that game, he formed a castle. I formed a castle. I let him go first, and he did all of his stuff, and then it was my turn. I said, okay, time for me to do all my stuff, <laughs> and I did none of my stuff. Didn't get a tree out, didn't get spites from hive out. Yeah. You know, so I was like, okay, cautious turn. And you know, I just one, two, tactic, cool. Mm-hmm. I win the roll-off for turn two. I chose to take the double because I was like, cool, I can crack this open a little bit before the Celestine Prime gets down and, you know, maybe force him to have to deal with too many things in too many different directions. Failed to get a tree out. Spikes from Hive. Failed to get out. Cool, cool, cool. Charged in. Didn't really do anything. (laughs) Retreated back to the woods with what I could. He comes down, you know, battle round two in a, you know, just kind of push out method and, you know, just establishes a foothold, does some more damage, wins priority into three, and just decimates my army. You know, the Celestine Prime comes down, Vandis Hammerhand, or whatever model he was supposed to be, slams down next to him. They come in, they wipe my bugs, basically. They get through all my dryads. Ugh, yeah. And so I'm sitting in my, like, little corner with my Tree Lord, my War Song, my Branch Witch, and my <laughs> Kurnoths, and I'm like, this is looking really especially bad. In four, I try to set up a, you know, go get the concussors, you know, because maybe I can fight my way back. He hits a nine-inch redeploy, and I'm like, oh, come on. Cool, sick, awesome, fantastic. You know, at that point, it's, okay, let's talk about it. He ended up with a 24 to 20 victory. So even though the, the physical models on the table had me shattered, I had kept it close to that point. More importantly, from a clock perspective, you know, we basically were going to talk about it after four. I still had 30-ish minutes left on my clock, and Tyler had about 15. Mm -hmm. So I knew from that perspective a couple of things. I was in good shape for how fast I could play the army. Mm -hmm. Certainly in a game where I hadn't played as Sylvaneth in about six months in any capacity. I had missed one battle tactic, and it was because of the 9-inch redeploy. But looking at, you know, the book again... I could have maybe done some different ones out of the Sylvaneth book, or I could have done a little bit of a different order. But I felt pretty good about the ability to do that scoring. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I can take that learning with me. I get a 20 to nothing victory because it's the buy, which is weird coming off of a four-point loss. I, especially in that case, where what I'm trying to do is a very specific thing in terms of preparation, I certainly wouldn't want to be playing a game where I'm just like, yeah, cool, I get to do everything I want. My And, you know, the ringer's like, I go over here for no reason. Or, <laughs> you know, I choose to make a really weird sequence of attacks. Because being a good ringer is in of itself a skill. Sure. To give a player at the bottom table game a good, meaningful game, but without pandering to them. Yeah, of course. You know, because... Most people don't want that anyways. I had some takeaways where I was like, okay, like this is good. So one win to me off of a 24 to 20 loss, full points. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, man. Nice. All right. My list was kind of unusual, and it kind of had its origins at the first RTT. And I was talking to Isaiah quite a bit about some options, and he and I talked about a shooting army for Sylvaneth. I ended up bringing a war song. Spellsinger, Vesperal Gem. I took Virtuous Harmony because I did have the six Kurnoth Hunters. And I took a second spell, which was, I think, just a really bad choice. I should have taken another artifact or something else. 
whatever. Lady of Vines, I gave her a regrowth, had an arch rev. So those are my three heroes. I had 20 dryads, 10 dryads, 10 dryads. I had 10 gossamids and I had six hunters with bows. So that was really my hammers. And they really weren't hammers. They're more like little mallets, you know? <laughs> it's just like, I didn't yeah, know how that you, was going to go. You came into it with a very different list than what you had been running. And we talked about it a little bit on the last show of some suggestions that Isaiah had made to you and that you were going to go into a practice game and yeah. do some of that, which is good. But this is very different. I really was honestly very nervous about this because I'm used to having a hammer, you know, <laughs> at least a Durther or at least a unit of six Kurnoth with swords or something. And here's the other part of it. So I took Suffocating Gravetide. I did not take Spite Swarm Hive. But I think that was okay. In the Gravetide, I actually used it correctly in this tournament, which was amazing after the last time I had it in the tournament. It was totally worthless because Dan didn't use it right. So it actually worked out pretty well. There we go. My first game was against Patrick, and he had a Lumineth list. He had a Techless Mountain Cow list. We were playing, I w again, listeners, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for battle plans. I'm going to rely on my sketchy memory the best I can, but I believe it was the, <laughs> it's the one where you choose the pair of... Oh, Power Flux. Yeah, Power Flux, yeah. But here's the trouble with that. First of all, I talked about the dearth of terrain, you know, on the tables, some tables, and this one in particular. It also is one that completely splits the table down the middle. So literally, I could not put more than two overgrown on the table... And they were both compressed into the back because I couldn't put it on the middle terrain piece because it was, you know, over both halves of the table. So it wasn't completely out of his territory. So I was limited, very limited in my placement in terms of my teleporting piece of my army. That being said, he also had a stone mage. He had a Cathalar. He had unit of 10 stone guard, 5 stone guard, and then 10 blade lords. And I talked about the mountain cow. So the game didn't actually start out too badly, except for the fact that I couldn't get any spells off. I mean, I, I did not get any trees out the entire game because he just said no, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that was it. I could not get anything off the table. I was shooting for the, as many points as I could get, Brendan, because, you know, I've kind of learned this now, finally, after all these years, is you want to maximize the points. You know, whether it's 14 in this game I got or 28 in the next one, whatever the points are that you carry forward are going to impact your final place, you know. So that's more important than even getting, to me, a win or a loss. It's getting those points and carrying those forward from game to game throughout the tournament. And so it didn't go well because, I mean, my Gossamids did one cool thing that kept him from getting his Grand Strat, which was... They took out the Stone Mage, which was very cool, and it was very useful. You know how integral he is for buffs and things like that for the army. So I did take him out, but Teclis and the Mountain Cow actually have a fair amount of decent shooting. So they just kind of shot up my Gossamids, and my Archers were able to... Actually, the Great Bows were actually to take out a unit of 10 Stone Guard, but he was just moving up the table, and I just didn't have anything to get past his, you know, really good saves and his ward saves. I just had nothing to do that with. So the end up, the score was 25 to 14. So he Oof. didn't get his Grand Strat, but I still got 14 points, and honestly, I felt pretty good about that considering how things were going. 
And two things though that were highlights for me. One was I actually kept him from getting off Total Eclipse, right? Yeah, Total Eclipse. I kept him away from that for the first three turns. And that was so cool. <laughs> Like, yes, yes. If nothing else good happens this turn, I did that, right? And then, you know, one of the things with having the war song is you can take the uh, spellcaster grand strategy, right? Spellcasting savant. With a war song, you got a pretty good chance of getting your grand strat. So he ended up getting his mountain cow into contact with my war song. Well, you know how that goes. Five attacks, twos and twos, five damage. I don't know what the Ren was. It didn't really matter at that point. And I'm just like, okay, well, there goes my grand strat. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brendan, this was just, I think it might have been the highlight of one of the two or three highlights of my whole weekend. So he rolls five dice. He rolls three ones <laughs> for hits. And I'm like, yes. Okay, I got a chance. Okay, so then he rolls two dice for wounds. He rolls two ones. <laughs> It was great. He didn't do any damage. Oh my God. And then of course my war song, whoop, he just went over to a corner. He couldn't get to him at that point. Uh, that's the point where my great bows took out a unit of stone guard between shooting and charging them. They took them out. The game was pretty much over. I mean, I just couldn't hold on to anything. Again, I was not terribly disappointed by the 14 points that I took into game two. So sure. yeah, and it was a good game. We had a fun time. We had some good laughs and Patrick was a good opponent. So, and of course, you know, just like people who took the Grunstock thing, he got a lot of, you know, jeers and stuff for taking a techless list. <laughs> so whatever. Good time. So how about your game two? Game two, we played limited resources. So this is the mission with six, six objectives that are um, parallel to each other along a diagonal. It's the mission where if you hold the same objective in each of your consecutive player turns, if you hold it, your opponent takes and then you take it back, that's two mm. of your consecutive player turns in which you hold it. You can no longer control that objective. You can contest it for purposes of you know keeping your opponent off of it, but you can no longer score that objective going forward. So I was playing against Skaven. Keegan was my opponent, and he was getting ready for Worlds as well. He was taking a list that he was probably taking to Worlds, and I was not. Oh, yes, so sure. the result of this game is likely to surprise no one. He was playing with Lord Screech. That's the named Vermin Lord. Okay. Two Gracers, a Vermin Lord Warbringer with the usual kit of extra attacks and AoE reduced rend. Two Plague Priests, two units of 20 Clan Rats, two units of 10 Plague Sensor Bearers. We talked about it when we did the Skaven show. Hit like a freight train. He had a Help Hit Abomination Okay. And oh, yeah, he yeah. bubble wrapped his army, got Death Frenzy out onto his sensor bearers. So I had him go first. He, you know, moves up and takes the objectives. I move up and I don't get a tree out and mm -hmm. I don't get spites from hive out. Yep. I'm like, cool, not charging. <laughs> I win the priority roll. I take it, but I probably shouldn't have. I get rid of 20 clan rats, which kind of just cracks open his screen, and I try and fade back into into my screen and, and hide a little bit. Okay. But in doing so, it turns off three objectives for me in battle round two. Oh. Meaning that he doesn't have to do anything to do hold two, hold one, hold two, hold more, because mm -hmm. I technically hold zero, which I hadn't really thought about in terms of like how the game works until I had finished my turn and went, Oops. So, you know, not great. He comes into two. He throws in both of his two by ten and just does a number 
on my army. But I'm like, okay, you know, priority roll's a priority roll. He doesn't have Death Frenzy on one of these two units. And, you know, I've still got my War Song. So if I can, you know, do some Mortal Wounds, I can get rid of this other unit of 10. Mm -hmm. And I can maybe fight my way out of this paper bag. Well, he wins priority to three and tables me. I was like, okay. Uh, God. Bad. So we talked about it a little bit. This is one of the things that was really nice about Vault Wars is because it's so far away from like where my normal like tournament pool is mm-hmm. that you meet all sorts of different players. Oh sure. I really liked sitting down and talking with Keegan. You know, playing out of the Kansas area. You know, he's going to Worlds. He plays like a zillion games. You know, every week. A lot of it on TTS. You know, I, it was a well constructed list. It was well played. He's very well practiced. It's cool to play players like that. I mm-hmm. hope I get another shot at him with an army that's more in the stratosphere. Because one of the things that was that I really appreciated about his list was, and this is something I talk about all the time, right? Is presenting your opponent only with bad options all the time. Mm-hmm. And he played the way that he played. I only had bad options from start to finish. I don't want to say it's great, but that's a great way of playing, right? It's bad for me, right. but I really appreciated about that. So him and I had more time to talk than really to play. So it was what it was and that's sent nice. me back to probably where I belonged in what was a one-in-one bracket, despite having, you know, on the table, lost both games. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. My game two was against our friend uh, Andrew Tolstead. I had never played him before. It was nice to meet him finally in person. He took a Fire Slayers list, which was painted so cool, and he had some really neat 3D printed models. He had a Gotrek that had this huge sword that was like twice as tall as he was. It was just, and other models, and the way he had it painted overall was very, very cool. So he had a Rune Smiter, a Rune Master, an Exile, a Rune Father, five Berserkers. So all those were individuals, right? And it was like, oh my God, no center of mass at all in this army. And he had Gotrek, as I said. And then he had three units of five Hearthguard, you know, that were shooty kind of things. And then he had two invocations, which I couldn't do anything about. I don't have a priest, right? So uh, he could do whatever he wanted with those. And he was two drop because he had two battle regis. I'm going to say we had the usual deploy you know, within 12 inches of the board edge, whatever it is, 11 inches of the board edge. And there was dead zone between them. There were four objectives. I'm just trying to picture it. Two on his side, two on my side. I was just looking over there going, okay, I have to really think about target priority here. What can I kill with my units? You know, how can I teleport? How can I get to where I need to be? It was just weird because those little berserker guys are just nuts, man. I'm going to talk about what they did, but I didn't realize what they did until they did it. (laughs) And I was more worried about the shooty guys, but really they weren't an issue. You know, they weren't a problem at all. I ended up moving to the left and taking that objective. I took the other one on this side, and then I took a third one because I moved up my gossamids for some shooting. I uh, moved them fast. I ended up with hold one, hold two, hold more. So I maxed out. I got my battle tactic. The next turn, he ended up killing 40 of my 50 triads. Like the only thing I had left was the 10 I got from the Lady of Vines. Those little berserker dudes, man, they would just touch a unit of dryads and they would just, it was like wood chips, right? It was just so bad. And I go, wait a minute, I just lost 40 dryads in a single turn. But with that, his army was slow. 
overall. And so I could sit back with my bows and my gossamids and just pick off models or units. I just had to choose what I wanted to go away. Especially with the 10 gossamids, that worked out really well because um, they were just doing some work with those mortal wounds, right? And I was using my suffocating grave tide to block him off, which worked out really well. So as we got into the game, I was getting my full points every turn, every turn, every turn. He was not getting full points every turn. And I ended up getting full points, 28 points. It was just kind of interesting how it was a game of movement more than anything else. I ended up kind of pushing to the left side because he had really thrown most of his mass of those single models over to my right side. And he had Gotrek over there as well. And I've learned at this point, you just avoid Gotrek if you can. You know, let him do whatever he kind of wants to do. He went over and he was on an objective. But that's all he was. He was sitting there. He wasn't doing anything else. And it was like, that's fine. That's one objective. If I can hold two and he doesn't get another one, then I get my points, you know? There you go. So again, it was really interesting. I had my suffocating grave tide. There was, as I talked about before, a piece of terrain in the center of the board. And I moved it into that piece of terrain so that it blocked him from being able to get to my one unit of dryads I had left. So I was able to take that objective and he couldn't do it because of the model count, Ooh. and which was really cool. Very um, nice. And... Again, just kind of choosing my targets. You know, what do I want to kill? <laughs> and actually, I used my uh, war song pretty effectively in terms of melee. You know, I moved him because he can move pretty fast. And I got him in and he killed one of the berserkers. Took a little bit of damage back, but with that four-up ward, that helps a lot. Yeah, so it was a good game. I felt pretty good about that because when I first looked at it, I just didn't know what to do. You know, it, it's always interesting to see armies and understand the whole concept of center of mass. The, when an army doesn't have one, it makes it a lot tougher to decide what you were going to do. I was one and one at that point. All right, how about game three? All right, yeah, so game three, we were playing Spring the Trap. That is the three objective mission where your deployment is kind of that smaller box and you have the opportunity to send some of your units out into reserve if you wanted. And as a Sylvaneth player, I don't wanted. I was up against Slanesh, a list that included Bellacor, mm. a Lord of Pain, Lords of Pain are good, man, a Contorted Epitome, which was the general in Pretenders, so he had 900 zillion command points till the Epitome died, and then he had, like, one. Two units of big Blissbarb archers. I believe they were 22 blocks. Wow. A unit of 11 Blissbarb archers and two units of five Blissbarb seekers. So those are the ones that shoot, and if they do damage, you have... The incoming rend is improved by one. Okay. So with that many shooting attacks it's uh it's pretty good so the one really interesting thing about this table was at vault wars there's lots of line of sight blocking terrain because some terrain is given basically obscuring you know and that you cannot see across it tons of it which basically made three distinct lanes that you were in and no lane could immediately help the other one because there was a big wall between each of the objectives okay which I felt played very strongly into my hands. So I let him go first. He moved up, did a little bit of shooting, not too, too much, but, you know, takes a strong position on the field. I, at bottom of one, you know, also, I send my tree lord out to the side, 
grab an objective, make sure that we're getting some points out here. Don't get a tree out. Get spikes from hive out. Oh, okay. Roll one. And I'm like, great. <laughs> like we're. I'm. God. God. I don't laugh because it's funny. I laugh because I've experienced that so many times that I understand your pain. So at this God. point, I'm very annoyed with my war song. You know, like what did I do wrong? Yeah. But you know, okay. So in battle round two, he is markedly more successful. He does a ton of damage, gets my tree lord off the battlefield, mm. his contorted epitome comes in, you know, nukes my dryads. Bellacor is upfield now in a very threatening position. But as I get into bottom of two, I still have all of what I would call my important pieces available to me. Okay. My Kurnos have been weakened, like I got some back. The War Song is still alive and kicking, the Knight and Cantor is still alive and kicking, the Branch Witch is still alive and kicking, and I've got, you know, some tree revs I can still zip around the board. My ether wings are still out there, which okay. is pretty key, but you know, my ability to go and take objectives is reduced. So at the bottom of two, I manage to swing in, and the thing that the contorted epitome doesn't like to see is a lot of high rend, no mortal wound attacks. Mm. which is exactly what I have at my disposal because I chuck down Tree Song on oh, the tree base yeah. that I have because he is in my grill. Okay. I managed to charge into 20 of the Bliss Barbs with my Lancers, and oh. I end up losing one to Unleash Hell. So I've got three in there, and I've got two on the Epitome, and I nuke that unit of Bliss Barbs, and I nuke his general, and my Kurnoffs are in there fighting Bellacor. And I've got them strung out in such a way where they're starting to threaten the objective on my left, mm. um, which is only held now by five Bliss Barb Seekers, and there are fewer of them at the end of this. But I get my tree revs in there. And so I, in bottom of two, hold one, hold two, hold more, got my battle tactic. Bellacor's on, like, two wounds left. The epitome is dead. The middle of the board is very available. And I win the priority into three. And I'm like, cool. Nice. Backbreaker time. Okay. So I finish off Bellacor. I consolidate my position on the left objective. I send, after you know, trying to get some more Spite Rider Lancers back, I send them into his backfield, basically, which is you know now a Lord of Pain and 10 Bliss Barbs, because on the right objective are the other 22 and the Bliss Barb Seekers. I can keep them away from the engagement because of the layers of walls that are between everything. So sure. we kill Bellacor, we clean out the objective on the left, and I have set my opponent to tar pit misery mm. over there. And in his battle round three, does a bunch of bug shooting. Cool, cool, cool. But I win priority into four. I get my spikes from Hive out. I hit that two up. Yes. I've got a tree that's upfield a little bit. I teleport him through there. My Kurnoffs go in. Now, my Kurnoffs are only one attack each because of their proximity to the Lord of Pain. He's got a little, uh, I can't remember if it's, I think it's an artifact, where he basically picks one unit on the battlefield, and while that unit's within six inches of him, they have, their attacks are reduced to one attack per profile. Oh. Which is pretty good, especially Sword Kurnoffs, who are, you know, four attacks apiece. Yeah. They do some damage to the remainder of the ten Bliss Barb Archers, they do some damage to the Lord of Pain. They don't quite kill him in combat, but they end up stepping on him and killing him. Oh, you know, they, yeah, right. They do yeah, some yeah. damage. Yep, they do some damage to the Bliss Barb Seekers, but they anchor a position where you can't get past them to get onto that middle objective. Oh. And my opponent's grand strategy is he can't summon 
during the course of the game to so that and if he doesn't he gets his grand strategy which is bold because that game would change dramatically if he had been summoning because i can't in many instances afford to take the mortal wounds from the depravity dice mm-hmm. we get to his battle round four you know he tries to claim some land tries to take some battle object or battle tactics doesn't get them but you know we roll for five i get it and i go look I'm this many points ahead. You can't deny my grand strategy. I've got a full five-point turn lined up here. I'm already ahead. You know, is there anything that you can do? Let's talk about it. And he goes, no, there's... He goes, I was basically out of battle tactics last turn, so I'm definitely out of them now. So I ended up picking up a five-point differential in the win. Nice. It was pretty good. But if you had asked me at the start of my turn to who I thought was going to win that I'd go him like I mean the amount of damage that he was doing to that point was just crazy and I knew it was going to start escalating from there but that was certainly a mission and matchup where the table really helped me keep things divided if it had been an open field I'd have been in a lot of trouble okay so you're two and one now two and one at the end of day one okay my next opponent had a stormcast list and his grand strategy was slaughter of sorcery, and I was really happy about that because that meant he had to kill my yeah, my he had war to kill song. All your wizards. So that was kind of cool. He had a Celestine Prime, Lord Imperitance with uh, Nullstone stuff. He had two units of three annihilators, and then two units of two dragons. Oh, and he had the Knight Draconis and two units of Ether Wings. It was a board where it was like the L-shaped thing you know each of the two l's matched together and there were four objectives two on the center line and then two split down the middle which i saw that board and it was like oh this is awesome after the first game i'm like oh god i can get those overgrowns way out there and that was just really cool did that got some overgrown terrain way out on the sides which ended up being very very useful it ended up really close game i made this stupidest mistake turn one i had a unit of dryads within maybe an inch of two different objectives right and if i had just moved them like an inch (laughs) brendan i would have had two points right two more points than i had i lost the game by two points and in turn three i thought back about it i'm like oh man i can't believe i did that it was just so stupid we had a really good game very good banter back and forth really enjoyed playing it ended up that as I said, I lost by two points. It was 22 to 20. So I took, at that point, I've taken 62 points into game four. So again, very happy about that. I had him at the end of the game. He was down to his Knight Draconis, his Lord Imperitant, and one unit of Aetherwings. Everything else was gone. And the great story in this game is that my 10 Gossamids took out both units of Annihilators. <laughs> It was freaking awesome. So there were 10 of them when he dropped the first ones, right? I shot him and just mildly spiking the mortal wounds, you know, the D3 mortal wounds. They just disappeared. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. We still had another unit of them. And he had taken me down to like five of these guys. I was like, oh, man. So I shot him with five. And the second unit had taken one wound. So they still had eight wounds left. And I took him out with five gossamits. It's like, yes, this is so awesome. And I hadn't really mentioned that, you know, that Virtuous Harmony was so useful in games two and three, bringing back Kurnoths. Yep. Oh, man, it was so good. Gosh, one, two, however many. And especially in game three, bringing them back, he was like, what are you doing? Yeah, 
I just keep bringing guys back. It was very, very cool. Good game, a good end to the day. I was one and two, but I had a bazillion points, not a bazillion, but I had a lot of points I was carrying forward. So I felt really, really good about that because my goal was to carry an average of 20 points a game forward. That was what I was shooting for. And I met that goal so far on the first day. Yeah, so that's day one, man. All right. Did you do anything special after? Yeah, afterwards we went to an Italian restaurant. There was like 10, 15 people out, which was really nice. As always, it's just nice to hang out with people. I was sitting next to Nick Rafferty and we were chatting about stuff. And it was, it was just a fun evening. Yeah, a good end of the first day. Did you guys do anything? My back was killing me at that point. Those of us staying at the Airbnb, which also include Nick Rafferty, we went and grabbed some takeout and went back to the Airbnb and we ate and I laid on the floor and we all laughed and joked and, <laughs> you know, had a good time. But yeah, no, nothing too crazy for us after, after day one. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with day two and standings and awards and stuff like that and then some closing thoughts and we will be right back here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me okay we are back with day two brendan your game four game four we were playing fountains of frost so this is the mission where it's got six um you know, three on your territory line, three on their territory line. Mm -hmm. And if the objective is being contested by three or more total units, that objective on a four up, you know, is going to explode and do D3 mortal wounds to, to the units that are on it. I was playing against Jeff Nauman. I haven't played Jeff since the same event at 2017 with Tyler. Oh, I've known Jeff for years. Jeff was actually my first ever tournament game at Adepticon oh. in 2017. Gosh. We go way back. So he's running Nurgle. He's running the sub-faction where the flies get the pregame move. He also had Bellacor. He had Orgots. He had Bloab. He had two units of two of the flies. And he was not restricted by you know not being able to summon. So I was going to hold a distinct movement advantage here. But if I wasn't going to get getting the ability to engage on my terms, that progressive tick down of mortal wounds by contagion points was going to be the end of my game. I set up very, very, very conservatively and let him go first. You know, he moved some things up. Battle round two. I tried to set up a cheeky take of the objective that Bellacor was standing on. So Bellacor had towed in on an objective at just the back of his base. So I had dropped my tree revenants down behind him, all five of them towing in. And I was going to try and charge my Kurnoths in to go and tag one of them on that objective. Because this is a mission where it's really tough to get the hold more part of the, mm. the scoring. Okay. I didn't land a long enough charge, but I'm like, hey, I'll be in here. We'll do some fighting. You know, we'll get a punch him up going. I'm in terrain because on my right, I had sent my bugs up, you know, to go make a charge and then strike and fade on one of the units of uh, flies, you know, mm -hmm. to just get them off the board. Managed to get one of the bugs off. I didn't manage to get both of them off. So, you know, effectiveness reduced, but that's okay. In battle round three is when... I think disaster strikes because he comes in and lifts my whole unit of Kurnoths. Oh, because he has also has a Lord of Afflictions. That's that was Holy my. Uh, and the Lord of Afflictions has the 
command trait where you know you can't receive commands when you're wholly within mm-hmm. seven, yeah. and he gets right in there on him. But I'm in cover, feeling pretty good, and he kills four of them, and I roll a six on my battle shock, and, oh, and that unit's gone. Wow. I'm like, wow, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. But in doing so, he had left me a considerable opening. Orgots and the the one fly are now at the midline. The rest of his army is basically scrunched off to my left, and all of his objectives are basically available. Right. So I go in, I teleport stuff over to his side, I basically take the backfield, and now he's got to turn around to go take those from me. Okay. He has top of four. He goes in. My war song is on one wound when we get to the battle shock phase, top of four. Rolls for his contagion, doesn't do anything. Mm. Rolls for the objective to explode. The objective explodes, does no mortal wounds to me. Oh, wow, okay. Awesome. Right. I've got bottom of four. I clear that contagion point. I teleport out of there, send my war song to the back corner. Yes. We are basically going to trade hold one, hold twos, not hold mores for the rest of the game. I'm going to win by one because of that opening, battle round three where he had just moved up for me to go grab mm. one, two more, and just go seal that win. If I win the priority into four, I would win by two, but you know that's negligent. But, I mean, it was so close. I mean, it came down literally to three sets of dice rolls, right? Okay. You know, where, because if the Warsong dies, I lose my grand strategy, and now he's up by two, and now I really got to scramble on how I'm going to go do this, because I really couldn't deny his grand strategy, but I would have had to do some real crazy stuff to go steal enough objectives to make up mm. that difference. Okay. But that was a game a lot like my game three, where the lessons I had learned in game one, just be patient, you know, take the openings where they come. Yes. You know, I got all five battle tactics in games three and four. So I'm like, you know, this is an army that can go score tactics. So I don't have to worry about that. You know, my grand strategy is very reliable with keep the war song alive. You know, that's, yeah. As long as you're not doing something real dumb with it, like you're in pretty good shape. I got a one point differential in that win, which was real exciting because I felt like that was not a great matchup necessarily for me. But in that game, I started to see the angles, you know, that I feel like you should be seeing as a Sylvaneth player that don't exist normally, where you can you can be like, oh, okay, like I can daisy chain this and go do that, and it's you know just pulling all these crazy levers to be like. Surprise, I'm over here now. You're in danger in a place that you thought was safe. That was pretty good. That was a nice win. So what about game four with you? I played Joel, who had the Nightheart army, and I played his Nightheart army last year with my Nightheart army. So his army this time was very different than the one he brought last year. So he brought Guardian of Souls, who was his general, Knight of Shrouds on a horse. He had Raikonor. He had two units of five crossbows, which was interesting. He had 20 reapers, three spirit hosts who were, of course, hanging around the guardian. He had four banshees, and he had three units of five hex rays. He had the, and the black coach. And I'm telling you, brother, that coach did work, man. It's just the mass of dice that he rolls from that thing. I didn't remember that. But when I looked at the profile afterwards, I'm like, God, the thing has a it's lot, got of, a lot of attacks. It does. It's just weight of dice. And then he had a pendulum and a grave tide, of course. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Grave tide off, right? And the game ended up being a tie, pure tie. We both got our grand strats. We got the same number of tactics. We had the same number of points. Everything just down the road. 
So that was a tie for me. So I was one, two, and one at that point. It was really great playing him. I appreciate Joel's, you know, kind of a serious player in terms of interaction, but I appreciate that because he really is focused. He really does meaningful things. When he does something with a unit or whatever else it is, you can tell he really has thought about it. And I really appreciate them seeing him work his army that way. We kind of traded off. Uh, I killed Raikonor and he killed Lady of Vines. I shot off his Banshees because I know once they get in, four of them, they could do some work. They, they were trouble. I kind of traded space for time with my Dryads, but then he dropped the Gravetide next to him and it was like, oh God, here we go. And I didn't dispel it, you know, Warsong didn't do his work. So yeah, overall, it was a good game. And, you know, I shot off a unit of hex rays, but then he used his monster like 24 inch move and got behind me. His coach just kind of, I, I couldn't do anything to his coach, Brendan. There's no way. Between my gossip. It's such an anvil unit. And you yeah. and I talked about that a little bit where yeah. obviously it changed from its previous role what its current one where oh. i know there was a lot of nighthawk players when the new book came out they're like like i don't understand what it does i'm like it does something totally different like you have to forget what the old one did yeah. it does it is different yeah and when you have it in the right place like he did you know i'm pulling dryads and he's just like turning his dice over every time you know he got the six in like no time because i was dying close to him and boom you know, he had the explosion again, trying to get that 12 wounds off when he has a four up ethereal save. Man, it doesn't matter. You just got to have a massive dice on that thing. And even when I shot my bows into him a couple of times, it just wasn't enough. And I just stopped because I said, I need to put them somewhere else. I need to put them on something else and use them for something else because that coach is just not going away. So it was very close back and forth. I ended up killing his unit of 20 Reapers. And he did some really, really well at one point because he knows what my Gossamids do. So, you know, I took him up to shoot and then I pulled them back to 12 after unleashing hell. And he had his hex race just perfectly positioned, like triangulated my Gossamids where they could go and then ended up charging into them with one of his units of hex race. I think it was two or three of them, but it was enough. You know, it was a really good game and I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I really enjoy playing him. Uh, with his Good. with his night haunt. All right, how about game five? Last game of the weekend. So game five was Geomanic Pulse, and I was playing Zeno, who was running Flesh Eater Courts. He was running the Grand Court of Delusion, where you get free feast days once per turn. Mm. It's pretty good. He had a Crypt Haunter General, meaning that his Crypt Horrors were going to be battle line. He had an Abhorrent Arch Regent. He had a... Ghoul King on foot. He had two Ghoul Kings on Terrorgeist, one with extra rend, one with gruesome bites. Mm. He had two bricks of nine horrors and a unit of ten ghouls. This was a really interesting list. I felt like it had the bones of a good list. One of the things that him and I talked about, though, was that he didn't include Horfrost in his army, and he goes, I just forgot it was a spell that existed. He goes, I haven't mm. played in a while. I was like, oh, my guy, Horfrost on Crypt Horrors is like incredible like sure. like they're arguably the best unit in the game to put that on anyways this was going to be an interesting matchup for me just because this army does a couple of things that i really don't like as a prevailing theme of things that i have talked about from this tournament don't like to see mortal wounds and the terror guys are yep. really good at dishing those out yep. 
the crypt horrors are very interesting in flesh eater courts because if you don't pull the full unit you are going to see most of that unit back their next hero phase okay just the way that their recursion works like it is brutal Okay. And then obviously with the fight twice, they are going to be able to dish out a ton of damage. And Crypt Horrors are like four attacks apiece, fours by threes. In many cases, they'll be rend one, damage two, and in special cases, damage three. And when you're talking about nine of them at two-inch reach, that's a lot of attacks, especially when you get to do it twice. Sure. I let him go first. And he moved his two bricks of horrors up to one on each side. The unit on the right was flanked by the Haunter Courtier, so they had their buff piece. He summoned on a Vargolf to support the other one, so they had their, you know, reviving buff piece. He summoned on a unit of three flayers to try and Uh. knock out my screen of tree revs. And he just YOLOs in the first Ghoul King on Terrorgeist into my 20 Dryads. Oh, God. And, you know, he wiped the 20 Dryads, but... On the fights twice, can't get into anything else, which is fine. The crypt players land their nine-inch charge, don't kill my tree revs, which is also fine. That, yeah, uh, it's very fun. But, so bottom of one, I pull off the one unit of flayers, and I pull off the one unit of terrorgeist that had thrown itself into my meaty mitts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were going to let that be. So I had then priority into two. He wins it and chooses to go first, and I pick that the objective is going to start on my right side um, because I just have the ability to get more things over there early. Okay. So, you know, he stands on that one objective with the nine horrors, and he basically leaves the other nine horrors on the left just planted. He goes and screens off the Terrorgeist, summons on, you know, three more flayers, so he's done summoning, and then I go in and... I pull off the three flares that he had summoned on to the pulse, the active pulse objective, which gives me enough models on that objective with my bugs to take it. So I'm not going to strike and fade with them. But unfortunately, I had gotten spites from Hive out, and I was going to send my Kurnoths in. Yeah. And I got the bonus to charge. Cool. And then I roll like a two, and I'm like, cool, re-roll. And then I roll like mm. a three. I'm like, bad. My Kurnoths are just kind of hanging out there. I've got all of my hammers all in this one corner, basically right next to where the pulse is. Mm-hmm. He wins the priority into three, slams his unit of nine horrors into my bugs, throws the Ghoul King on Terrorgeist into my Kurnoths, and I was like, this could be it. This absolutely could be it. Him and I talked about this decision at the end, but he chose to fight twice with the horrors to remove all of my bugs, which I felt was very weird. Because I only had, like, two bugs left. I was going to have to send them back to the base for repairs you know, okay. if, I, if I wanted to do anything with them later. He fought with his Terrorgeist, and his Terrorgeist total, with all of its attacks, did seven wounds to my Kurnoths. Triggered no mortals. Oh, my God. Nothing. Wow. And my Kurnoths beat it to a bloody pulp. Oh, sure. And it had, like, two wounds left after that. And I was like, solid. Love this. When it comes into three, you know, I clean off... The last Ghoul King on Terrorgeist. I get my Kurnoth dislodged, and I take a strong position in the middle. And he had chosen to, like, go chase my Tree Revs who were in the corner with his Arch Regent. And his grand strategy was to have two (laughs) Wizards controlling the middle of the board. Okay. And now all he's got left are two Wizards, both of whom are nowhere near the middle of the board. Uh, Okay. And are going to have to go through my Kurnoth to do so. Sure. 
I say to myself, I cannot allow my opponents to bring both units of horrors to bear on my Kurnoths. So I sacrifice my Tree Lord at the one to, you know, hopefully trigger some strikes last, right. hopefully trigger some you can't pile ins on me. Like, cool, you can hold that objective fine. Like, hang out there forever. I don't care. And, you know, we just, we'll just do that for a while. That plan works. I take the middle. He sends in his one unit of nine that isn't tied up into my unit of Kurnoths who are basically back to full strength at this point. You know, they've got Mystic Shield. You know, I've got all of defense out on them. I'm standing in the shadow of a tree in the middle of the board that has tree song, and I mulch these guys. Like, it oh, takes yeah. a little bit, but I chew through them to the point where we get to the end of battle round four, and I'm like, hey, let's talk about this because I'm pretty confident that I've got the win here. You know, I saw I've got a full six point turn racked up and there's nothing you can do about it without mm-hmm. throwing away your grand strategy, which means that I'm still going to beat you because you can't get my grand strategy in, in that process. So we talk about it and I end up taking a two point win. But, you know, there there were definitely some things in that game that I would have done differently as the Flesh Eater Courts player. And him and I talked about it a little bit and some of it would have started with list construction. But I felt like he didn't need to throw away some of the pieces in the way that he did, especially with the way my forces were being whittled down. Like, if you fight twice with that Terrorgeist, like, I'm in bad shape. And this is one of those games where the Knight and Cantor came in clutch because, you know, you've got that once-per-game auto-dispel. You know, he casts the plus D3 attacks on the... You know, there's going to go on the Terrorgeist, throws a zillion Primal Dice at it, doesn't get any double sixes. And he's like, all right, you know, beat a 19 or whatever. And I'm like, okay. auto unbind. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, that's so terrible, that feeling when someone does that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's what the 120 points are there for. Yeah, so absolutely. That was a super close game. You know, I finish, you know, technically four and one because I got to buy. But, you know, I finished three and one on the table and I'm. You know, I'm certainly pretty pleased with that because, number one, I came in to that game with Zippo in the practice category, and I was you know, using that event primarily to inform myself on what I'd potentially like to do for Worlds, so mm-hmm. pretty happy with that. Awesome. What about your Game 5? So my Game 5 was against Josh, and he had a Nurgle list. He had uh, a Great Unclean one, a Glotkin, which was always fun to see, and he beautifully painted. He had Orgots and Gutrot Spume, and both Spume and Orgots were off the board, of course, in their flying fleet thing. And then he had four beasts of Nurgle on the board, Ooh. and he had a Plague Claw, which was like, what? And he told me what it did. I'm like, okay, that thing has to die, or else my Gossamids <laughs> are gone, you know? That kind of yeah, thing. So they're exactly the wrong size. That was his list. I have to say he had these specially printed up Beasts of Nurgle, and they were just fantastic looking. I, I don't know, just these big giant maws with these giant slobbery tongues coming out, and oh, it was just so cool. So I wanted to compliment him on, on his beasts. They were really cool. And of course, I didn't really understand what they did, but it didn't take long before I did, and I'm like, oh God, these things are bad. <laughs> they're fast, and they're just tough to deal with. Anyway. It's important to note, we know what my grand strategy was, which is to keep my war song alive. His was to kill all of my battle line. And I didn't mention at the beginning that I had Heartwood as well, which makes my Kurnoth battle line. That comes into play <laughs> at the end of the game. My first move, because I went first, was to shoot the play claw off the board with my Kurnoth bows, and they handily got rid of it, but it was 
nice to know that it was gone, at least. Then my Gossamids got up, shot off one of his beasts of Nurgle, and so that's kind of where I was, you know, after turn one. You know, on his turn, he dropped Orgots in and Gut Rot, and I was trying to figure out, how am I going to deal with Orgots? I mean, the Glotkin and the Great Unclean one were just slow. You know, they can come up the board, but they're slow, so I have time to deal with them. He was in my backfield. The way we, it was four objectives, two kind of in the middle of each board quarter, you know, that kind of a thing. I went over there, and at one point I had him down to one wound. <laughs> I thought it was going to kill him. I thought it was going to kill him, but I didn't. And I ended up killing him, but his beast, you know, charged into me, and I had to to send my Kronos up. And once my Kronos were engaged, they couldn't shoot unless they were engaged with that unit. My Gossamids were doing some chip damage, but they weren't really doing as much as I had hoped that they would. There's no way I was going to take the Glotkin off. There's no way I was going to take the Great Unclean one off. Those were just, I didn't have enough in my army to do that in terms of power and rend and mortal wounds kind of a thing. It ended up that we got through turn three and it was very close at that point. And he had ended up summoning in, because he had plenty of summoning points, another beast. I ended up killing Orgots, finally, thank goodness. And he had gotten up the board, and his Glotkin had gotten into my Lady of Vines, and so she disappeared. I still had, uh, like, five, four or five of my Kurnos. I used Virgin's Harmony. Boom, I brought them back. That worked out beautifully. So I still had all five, or, I had five or six of the Kronos left. I had my War Song. I had, a, I think, one or two units of Dryad still. All of a sudden they called it, like, I don't know how it had taken so long for us to play the game. But we only got through three. We were going to probably get about halfway through four. We realized we needed to talk through two turns. And mm-hmm. it was just tough, you know, because so many things could still have happened for both of us. And so, and I appreciate his patience as we were talking through it. And we ended up kind of equivocating points for those last two turns for both of us. And then it came down to Grand Strats. There is no way with what he had left on the board. I mean, that Great Unclean one was never going to get to my War Song. The Glockkin was never good. He was only like halfway up the board. The Great Unclean one was only like a quarter of the way up the board. So there's no way he was going to get that. And then there's no way he was going to get his because he would have had to kill six Kurnoths. And I don't even think the Glotkin could have done that in the turn, right? And we're on turn four. I mean, if I had buffed them up, Mystic Shield, you know, all that defense, whatever else. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe, like, right. But but it's very, very unlikely. And plus he had to get to them. You know, I could move sure. them to that corner. So it ended up being the, the deciding factor of our grand strategies. I got mine, he didn't get his. And that was 23 points that I carried forward there. So I had achieved my goal for the weekend of averaging at least 20 points a game in terms of score and carrying those points forward. That was very satisfying, even though I was 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. It was nice to see, especially with this army that I really hadn't played before. It was good. It was okay. What were your final... You had about 50 players, right, in your event? It was something about that, 50 to 54. Okay. Something in that category. You ended up doing really well. Yeah, don't have the final standings because BCP is having a very difficult time displaying tournament results currently, is what the issue seemed to be. And it didn't help that you know what Tyler was trying to do was not always transparent in terms of 
like how BCP was going to process it. The, sure. the way all of it was done was very transparent, but I'm not sure the software was made to handle exactly how he wanted to do that. I didn't walk away with any awards, but I was four and one. I have to imagine I was pretty close to taking some of them home because best overall was a player who went four and one. Highlander was a player who also went one. Best order was also a player who went four and one. I'm certain I was somewhere in the mix, which we, I'm pretty pleased with. You were um, among good company there. <laughs> exactly. Sure. So I would be pretty surprised if I fell outside the top 10. If I did so, it would certainly be because point differential played a big factor in rankings. I'll be the first to tell you, this is an army that cannot reliably make big blowout wins. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Like You have to beat your opponent by 20 plus points to get max points. Sure. I don't know that there's a universe where I can beat my opponent 28 to 8. I don't know a universe and where I play opponent who is competent that I can beat <laughs> right. 28 to 8. Okay. It's not what the Army's built for. So, yeah, overall pretty pleased. One of the things that I noted to myself was I would really look to try and get a unit of the healing bugs into the list. Yes. Because not being able to take Hoarfrost on the Branch Witch instead of having to take the healing spell, big. Because being able to put Hoarfrost down on either the Bugs or the Kurnoths, really changes their ability to do damage, primarily in adjusting the to-wound roll on mm -hmm. many cases. Because sure. obviously Heartwood gives you a free all-out attack as long as you're targeting the right things, and mm -hmm. you should be targeting the right things. Or upping the Rend characteristic to 3 on the Swords. Sure. But if they're fighting around Tree Song, being Rend 2 and you know doing something like that isn't the worst. It's that extra flexibility that I don't have that I would maybe be looking for not being able to get a tree out automatically in any way, shape, or form was brutal. Oh, yeah. I mean, by the time I got to game four, right, you know, so I had played effectively 13 battle rounds. I had gotten Spite Swarm Hive and a tree out collectively three times. Yeah. By the time I got to round four, I mean, mm -hmm. that was miserable in terms of, you know, yep. in many cases, the dice just weren't cooperating. And, you know, some of them, right, your opponent's saving their dice for those specifically. But in the overwhelming majority of those cases, it was just cool. Roll the two. Like, yep. Yep. sick, miscast. Like, can't do anything about that. Yeah. That was certainly pretty tough. I like the Knight Encanter. I like the Ether Wings. They were certainly very helpful. This list was very good at scoring battle tactics. But yeah, in the retool of that army for something more competitive, right? Probably two units of tree revs mm -hmm. and look to see how I get a unit of healing bugs into the list so that I can have some more flexibility with the Branch Witch. Sounds fair. In terms of my army... You know, I definitely felt, as you did, the pain of not being able to get trees out. I'm just thinking for this RTT, I'm just going to take some, something totally wacky, but I'm thinking of replacing my war song with an ancient. Because getting that tree out is so incredibly important. Plus, you have a model that doesn't have to rely on, you know, the spirit paths because he's got a built-in teleport, yep. uh, as all the big guys do. You can still protect him by keeping him in the trees. He is a wizard. He's not a two-cast, but there are things you can do. And I, I just wonder if that's something I would like to do. To your point of taking some Rev Seekers for Kurnoths, I don't think I would take the unit of six bows again. I might take a unit of five Gossamids. That okay. might be something I would include. This was fun and it was neat and it was cool, but I just think there are other things I'm gonna do with the list, you know, because Belthanos will be out and I have thought of including him in a regular 
Sylvaneth list and how that would work out. Just thinking about, you know, different kinds of, you know, having a tree lord ancient, say for a general, what command trait would I take? Something different than War tree singer, song. baby. You know? War singer. Something different, right? And maybe some different artifacts, maybe some different spells, and maybe not taking Spite Swarm. You know, I don't know. But I think there's some things, especially with Belthanos, you might not need Spite Swarm as much as you did before. So I think that some fundamental changes might be in order, and I really look forward to trying those out. Very good. Overall, in the final standings, I ended up out of 70 being tied for 17th points-wise okay. overall with total points. And I was very, very pleased with that. I just, just like it, uh, Meltdown. I was just really happy to have the Sylvaneth getting that top third. That's been my goal now for the last couple events. And uh, That was your best finish in terms of record, right? Because you were 2-2-1, yes. two, two yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's your first time you finished 500. And it was the highest in terms of, you know, rankings overall points that I had ever been. It was just really satisfying. Very, very cool. I mean, I thank all my opponents for great games. The one other thing, though, Brendan, that happened that was more important than anything else, about halfway through my fourth game, Mark Ramchek came over and he said, Dan, we picked you to be on the top 10 player's choice tables so you need to get your army ready at lunch and i'm like what what are you talking about man like there's 70 armies and so many of them brendan look so good i was just shocked i really was pleasantly but like okay let's go and then i went over at lunch and i'm looking at the other nine armies going these are some really amazing armies right a guy I met named Alex had just an awesome, you probably saw pictures of it, a spider army. He had four Arachnoroks and he had all, the rest were all scuddlers. But the paint scheme was just, it wasn't garish, you know, in, in a good way, like Nick McKenna's stuff, spiders and stuff. Yeah, but where it's, it, but where it's it still just was, loud and in your face, uh, yeah. It, but it was still really cool and spooky and unique. So that was just amazing, getting in the top 10. I, you know, hobby-wise and everything. I was just really, really happy. So then we had awards, and they do um, Player's Choice. It's kind of a composite. It's Player's Choice Awards for Armies, but it's also your hobby score, and that, that stuff stacks in. They called Alex up for first place, and I was so happy for him because it was just a great army. And then our friend Patrick... <laughs> With his crazy uh, bone splitters, right? He has his centaur bone splitters that he converted. I uh, got third place. They called me up, Brennan, and I got second place. That's awesome. Player's choice. And uh, yeah, it was, I'm not going to say I was emotional as a game, you know, but it was just so cool. It's an army you've put a lot of work into. You know, it's, you've been very thoughtful with the conversions that you've made. You've made a very concerted effort to keep all of it like really visually cohesive and that all of the, you know, bugs that, you know, <laughs> you put into your army, you're making sure that they're the right size. Like you're very, very diligent about making sure that things visually make sense, right? Because okay. what yeah. you've been trying to do with that, I feel like it's really easy to do poorly, mm-hmm. right? You know, where it, it's like it just aesthetically doesn't make sense, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I put a scarab on its back because, you know, I want it to have a bug and, like, the scarab is either way too big or way too small. (laughs) Like, you definitely order a lot of bugs to make sure that you get the right (laughs) size bugs. (laughs) I mean, out of 70 armies, and again, there were so many beautiful armies there, this is kind of a highlight for my Sigmar playing time. 
really, really is. And that award, there's a, you know, a dragon and then you get the goblet thing or whatever it is, the chalice. Mm. And man, just such an amazing surprise and, and so, so cool way to end the weekend. That was Dragonfall and Vault Wars. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to once again going back next year. It was a great weekend. Just wonderful people uh, to, to be there with and to see. And also to thank the crew that helped out, Mark, just all those folks that made the weekend possible, to thank all them for that. I think that's it for recap. And let us move on to Scriptorium. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, Brendan. We have got a new release bomb here. It's just all kinds of stuff, man. Unbelievable. Most importantly at the top of the list, of course, is The End and the Death, Volume 2. Yeah. So the end of the siege is here. Of the end of the death. Yes. It's a weird feeling kind of knowing what's going to happen, but it's also going to be interesting to see how they fill in the lore to make it more interesting. So it's not just, this person dies, this person dies, this person does this. We know that's all going to happen, period. I'm fascinated how they're going to handle that so that it's much more interesting than just, you know, a linear kind of a thing like that. So anyway, we also have a bazillion omnibuses. We have a Word Bearers omnibus. We have an Admech one. It's a Graham McNeil Admech series about an explorer fleet. We have Galaxy of Horrors, which is 20 stories almost from 40k. And then we have Untamed Realms, which is 13 stories from the Mortal Realms. Lots of stuff out there. And we have Fall of Cadia, which is the story of, well, the title says everything. We have Storm Talon, which is Neve Storm Talon. I believe she's a character, is she not, in the Stormcast? Yep, she has been for a bit, but she gets her new models and she as gets, part of the pre-order. Gets a book. Yep. So cool. And then the Gabo rides again. We we're, of course, talking about the Red Gabo in 40K. And I'm sure it will be a very entertaining book because his stories are just hilarious in a grot way as all goblin stories should be yes so the, all that stuff has dropped i'm very tempted to get that galaxy of horrors the 40k omnibus that one just seems like there'd be a bunch of really cool stories in there so we'll have to consider that one all your stuff reads listens watches what do you got going on yep so i am still chugging through my 20 hour biography of <laughs> ulysses s grant's we are just coming up to the end of the Civil War. They have Robert E. Lee's army cornered. You know, him and Sherman are closing the vice. They do a really good job of pacing in this biography, right? So even before that, I really appreciate that they use firsthand sources from multiple different people to really give context to the story that they're telling, mm. not just of what Grant is doing, but why and what's going on around him and, you know, why decision might be viewed X, Y way then and ABC now. I really enjoy that. I really like that it's telling this bigger picture where you know it's explaining why the main character is doing all of the things that he's doing. I've been really surprised, you know, as we're listening to this, right, you know, he's still not a politician, you know, he's still just, you know, yeah. Lieutenant General Grant. But he Throughout, even up to this point, you know, even as the head of, you know, the United States Army, seems like a super normal dude. I'm consistently amazed by just how incredibly normal he seems. <laughs> like just some person you would go meet, you know, today, and they would share similar visual characteristics, behavioral characteristics, and mm. 
you know, I've been listening to part of it with Katie as we've been driving around, and I told her to ask you the next time that, you know, we run into you, to ask you specifically about how bizarre military higher, higher ups can be. Because I know you have firsthand experience with it, and I know from a, you know, a reading perspective, some of those characters are really just that. They are absolute bizarre characters. Ugh. I know you share in your heart a very special place of disdain for, you know, one World War II general, but like, <laughs> yep. you know, sure. he is far from the only character in that war that is like just a complete weirdo. Yep. You know, Patton, you know, is famously a weirdo. Like, and, oh. you know, we love him because, you know, it's, there's a cult of personality around it. But oh, like, Patton, yeah. You know, like, it is stranger than it is normal for a person of that authority to be, like, just a completely normal, level-headed yes. guy. Absolutely. So that struck me consistently. As far as watches, I have gotten into starting watching The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah, have, yeah. Have you watched any of this, Dan? No, no, but I read The Fall of the House of Usher in high school. Uh, that's one of the things that our English teacher had us read, among you, some other classic English you know, novels. Yeah. Must, must watch. And it's I on am, Netflix. It's okay. on Netflix. It's okay. eight episodes. They're about an hour a piece. Okay. I'm halfway through, so I'm about four episodes in. Okay. And it's gripping because they, right, obviously Edgar Allan Poe lived a while ago. Oh. They tell the story in a modern context. Okay. And it's really cool the way they do it visually. And I had to do some research on, you know, the story that it was trying to be told without doing too much spoilers of, mm -hmm. you know, like, what is this based off of and why? And, you know, all of these different sins that all of these different mm -hmm. people have and the way that they are yeah. held in retribution is really cool. The way that it's all been coming together, I've loved. It's been awesome. It is very much a mature and adult piece of content mm -hmm. so you know i'll put that warning out there for folks but it is really gripping you know what it reminds me of the story it, when you just talked about how there's this one after the other kind of retribution thing that happens mm -hmm. you know one at a time it reminds me of the story of the count of monte cristo where it comes back and he just targets one person at a time to get vengeance you know and he just works his yep. way i kind of think of that uh, story as well so that's very cool i'll have to take a look for sure absolutely worthwhile i think you and cindy would enjoy it excellent yeah All that's right. my stuff your list is much shorter than it normally is <laughs> yes the War of Words by Molly Manning is still very interesting. It, one of the things that I'm learning so much about how this all worked in the war in that, you know, you think about it, like every individual ship had their own newspaper. Every company of soldiers in the army had their own newspaper. And you're like, how did that work? Well, there was this one, uh, like a bureau almost that was created and it acted like a clearinghouse for all these different units and the people in the units that wanted to have a newspaper or some kind of publication. And they could just like telegraph or mail or whatever these people, they actually had a weekly like sheet that came out. These are ideas that you could include in your paper. And they just sent this, this bureau sent it out to all these different units, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of units. It was just so cool. And the other thing was like, okay, so how do you actually print the paper. The army had this thing where they had crates that they would send to units and they had this one crate that was marked recreation and it had like sporting equipment and games in it, mm -hmm. right? Well, they had another crate that was marked like 
press, like newspaper. And inside they had a printing press and they had lithographs. They had all these other things that you needed to actually make a newspaper. And they would just drop this crate off at the unit and say, okay, this is your thing that you need. And it was like, wow, the logistics of that must have just been insane. But it was so cool that they made the effort and they committed the resources to doing it because it was so important. So very, very cool. Dan has been a bad bear. I'm just going to admit this. Okay. In the last couple of weeks, I have not worked out. And, you know, my Expanse watching has always been related to my working out. So I want to get back to that. So I have no Expanse watching to report. Now, there is something coming out. This will be after we publish, but two days from when we're recording, which will be Wednesday. It is based on a book and it's a story called All the Light We Cannot See. I've mentioned a couple of times some other World War II type movies you know, that have been like not really well known. So this is based on a story about a young French woman and a young German man. And she is in occupied France. And this is happening later on in the war. But she's basically running a resistance radio show. You know, underground, obviously. His specialty in the army is he's a radio direction finder expert. So he's being tasked with finding her in this town that she's in. The stories of these two young people come together and the war all around them and everything else. And there's something else special about her that I will not reveal. Um, okay. So hopefully people will watch this. But I think it will be a very interesting story for a lot of people. And then the final thing was my friend Mike and I saw Killer of the Flower Moon. Long movie, I've heard. Well, we're going to talk about that because I want to give a bit of perspective to people as they're listening here. The movie itself was just excellent. The acting was exceptional. You really just... <sighs> It was a movie about evil, in a way, Holocaust Nazi evil. No conscience, no humanity when this stuff was happening. And the person in particular, I won't mention who he is, you'll figure it out when you watch the movie. It's about evil, it's about tragedy. It's a story that I think a lot of people are not aware of. And this was happening right during the Tulsa riots, right? Back in the early 30s, was all this was going on in Oklahoma. The thing that I had a friend who was watching this and another friend besides Mike. And he said, you know, the beautiful thing about stories like this is we learn this and then we can learn from it. And I thought that was a really good way to put it. You know, you mm. learn about the story and then what have we learned from it? What, what are the things that we see that are different? It is long. Now, Mike and I figured it out beforehand and we actually took uh, bathroom breaks and shifts <laughs> so that uh, we didn't miss anything. But I want to give people a bit of perspective by saying I think that most of the listeners to this show, Brandon, probably including you and I, have watched all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. Correct. Okay. This movie is about three and a half hours long. Each one of those movies was as long, if not longer, than Killer of the Flower Moon. And yet there was no talk about, oh, it's so long or it needs an intermission. So we went to the theater, we watched the movie, we came out and we went, oh, that was awesome, right? Just perspective, listeners, just saying, <laughs> you've been to other movies that have been this long and you still enjoyed them. And I think you will enjoy this in a way that you're going to learn a lot. I certainly recommend it. It is not a movie that you're going to walk away from, you know, saying, oh man, that was really, I had a good time at this movie. You shouldn't have a good time at this movie, <laughs> but you should learn a lot. So there we go. Onward, my All friend. Right. <laughs> this or that. What's the story, bud? Um... I think I'll start. Okay. Very little about the episode we just recorded. That's fine. Surprisingly. That's yeah, yeah. The big thing, right? Pre-orders. Mm -hmm. 
has a very exciting model that we're both very interested in. Mm-hmm. I'll ask this first one because it ties into, you know, you were talking a little bit about your lessons learned from the tournaments and what you're doing. So we've seen the War Scroll. What are your tentative plans for Belthanos? You know, what are you going to look at doing a long hunt army? Are you going to primarily think about running it in regular Sylvaneth? And what are your, you know, we'll call it jumping off point lists look like? Okay. I mean, we're going to talk about this more when we talk about the book and what the the Army of Renown looks like. But having seen the rules for the Army of Renown, I don't think I'm going to run it. This reminds me a lot of the, what's the Auric list? The The Maw Grunta Stampede. Yeah, the Grunta Stampede, where it looks very narrative. It looks fun. But I don't see it being competitive. I just don't. Again, this is me, you know. I definitely think Belthanos... Oh, Belthanos is competitive. Yeah, and I mean... The the War Scroll is absolutely competitive. Well, and you know, the nice thing is that unlike some other heroes who don't really translate well back to the main army, we talked about Trug. You know, he works great in this army of renown, but you put him in a regular Gits list, and he's okay. He does some fun stuff, but it's Belthanos is exactly the opposite. I mean, you can put him into a Sylvaneth army and just his special rules, giving a unit retreat in charge, giving everybody within a certain range advance in charge. Imagine if you had maybe a command trait or something else where you could add three inches to movement. That means that you could move your Kurnoth swords or sides 14 inches, Brendan, potentially. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. What did you just say? That's game-changing in a lot of ways for Sylvaneth. I also think that you've got a model that can be punchy and moves around. I mean, you can put him into stuff and not be afraid with that three-up, five-up. In a way, he's kind of like a a Stonehorn, right? That's got that three-up, five-up ward. And so you now have a unit in the army, an individual unit, that can do that kind of stuff and survive. I think it's going to change my command trait choices. It's going to change my artifact choices. Not on him, obviously, because he's named, but, you know, it's going to change my general choices. And so those are the kind of things I'm thinking of in my list. I mentioned it a little bit when we wrapped up the recap, but just some very, very different things that I would not have expected, like not taking a war song. That's like, whoa, wait a minute, no. Yeah, a week Uh, ago that felt crazy. Right, it was crazy talk. But now it's very reasonable, I think, to consider maybe doing that. So that's my answer. In a similar vein, what is the Army of Renown non-Sylvaneth division that you are most excited to cover in the next episode? So you have Stormcast, Ogres, and Fire Slayers. I think the Ogres, just because of the rules... So, Scriptorium Division of Questions. Okay. We talked about the end and the death a little bit, you know, part two. What major storyline, non-Emperor edition, are you looking forward to how they wrap up? Obviously, there's a number of threads that are out and available. They've shown a willingness to resolve things in, I don't want to say a a crazy way, because I don't think that's fair, but they've shown a willingness to, you know, resolve parts of that story in ways that are unexpected in filling in lots of the blanks. You know, so, what's, you're, so you're asking me what I'd like to see or what I expect to see? What storyline are you most excited to see how they wrap it up? So you, obviously some of it, we know what the end result is, but what storyline in this book are you most looking forward to in non-Emperor edition? Because obviously that's the thing that we're uh, all most looking forward to is 
this is going to be a, a book where I would expect we're going to get a lot more of the Emperor's perspective, uh, which pretty rare to this point. Yep, the Emperor and um, Malkador will be prominent, I would think. I want, and people could consider him a minor character, but I think if you talk about, for example, in The Buried Dagger what was going on in that book, which is really the prequel to The Siege. I, I would consider that book as it. And what he becomes and what he, the choices he makes, I'd really like to see how things work with Garville Loken. I want to okay. see how they're going to wrap that because they've already done some different things with him. And I would love to see some really cool kind of resolution for him as a character because we know what happened to Garo and that's fine. You know, heroic death kind of thing. That's all good. That's cool. That's the great way for a character like that to go. But Garfield Loken has some really unique characteristics about him that I would like to see resolved in a good way. Which U.S. president would you like to either read or listen to a 50-hour equivalent <laughs> biography of? Because I'll tell you, it's time commitment. Like, we are we are not – we're roughly halfway through it, and we are not uh, even to oh God. his yes. presidency. Like Post-election, I, yeah. I genuinely don't know how they're going to do – 15 to 20 hours of uh, his presidency. Like, sure. I don't know. Okay. I think Washington would be okay. really cool to listen to the whole story. I mean, I know a lot about George Washington's history and both prior to, during, and, you know, after the revolution. Yeah, I would like to know more about him than I do already. All right, so my last question. World Series has started. They're tied yes. at one. Who's winning, Dan? I want Texas to win. They've never won. I think that's really cool. And I was hoping you were going to ask a question kind of like this. One of the things I love about baseball is there's no way that people would have picked these two teams a month ago when the playoffs started. There's no way. And again, I love that in baseball. I was looking back at statistics, and it turns out that since 2002, one-third of the World Series have been won by wildcard teams that did not win their division. Wow. That's a lot. One in three. All right. My Five. Let's start with uh, Sigmar. If you were going to go to a narrative event, let's say in the next six months, which army would you take? Narrative event. Age of Sigmar narrative event. I would probably bring my Stormcast because they are probably my best painted army. And every time I paint a model for it, I'm like, oh, I love this color scheme. And then <laughs> as like as I finish it up, I'm like, oh, I remember why I don't paint them very often. This is, this is brutal. Yeah. So I had that moment painting my Knight and Cantor. I think they're my best painted army. I'd like to upgrade the basing, but it's also an army where I have a fair few, like I feel like really subtle conversions that mm. look nice. I think after that would probably be my Sylvaneth. I just love that Bug Rider conversion so much. Oh, yeah. I love every excuse to take you know, out of her box. <laughs> sure. Okay, if you were going to, after the changes, would you rather take a Giants or a Grunstock list now? After the changes, Broadstomp was very competitive before this change, and I think still is. Mm. Broadstomp took 5-0 and at, and Best General at Vault Wars. Mm-hmm. And Steve Potasic, you know, went four and one and was in that mirror match game five. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, the whole time it looked like Steve was having a blast. Like, yes, it looked like Steve was having so much fun. Like that's the holy grail of competitive armies for me is an army in which you can have fun. Your opponent has, you know, a chance and you know is and is going to enjoy themselves in that game. Mm-hmm. You know it. It's fun for one person when you have an army that beats someone so bad that, like, you know, they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Midwest Meltdown. 
sure. Probably Broad Stomp, yeah. The Expeditionary Force, I think, is still good. The lists change quite a bit to being just, like, straight MSU. But I don't think KO is particularly fun, and I don't think this version of KO is any better in terms of being enjoyable to take and do stuff with. So, a scriptorium question. If you were going to listen to or read an omnibus, would it be the 40K or the Moral Realms omnibus? I have torn through... I did this in high school, the Soul Eaters Oh, um, God, that was so omnibus. good. Oh, they I were mean, so good. Must have been a half dozen times. Those books are incredible. Oh, they are. I enjoy the 40K novels more than I do the Age of Sigmar or Warhammer Fantasy ones, typically. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why. I just seem to enjoy those a bit more. Okay. So, 40K. And I have two sports questions for you. All right. Okay. The Air Force Academy. <laughs> All right. Is 8-0. They sure are. At this point in the year. They could very well go to a major bowl, not some unnamed yeah, not one. Some tiddlywinks, you know, piddle bowl. Right. So do you think they will win or lose their bowl game? Oh, not knowing who they're playing. Oh, God. For those that aren't familiar, the way that college football works is if you win at least six games, you become eligible for a bowl. Mm-hmm. There are two major divisions of Division One at the FBS level, the Football Bowl Series. Below that is the FCS, the Football Championship Series. They have a straight playoff. Mm-hmm. In the Bowl Series, you have two groups. The Power Five, which are all of like your big schools. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, your Ohio State, your Michigans, your Alabamas, your Auburns, your USC's, Texas, right? The big schools. And then you have the Group of Five, which are, you know, your smaller schools, you know, your Akron's, your Ohio's, Army, Navy, Air Force. Sure. You know, Boise State. And for those that like know baseball, this is your small market team. Currently, the highest ranked group of five or small market team plays in what are called the New Year's Six Bowls. These are your premier bowls, your your Rose Bowl, your yeah. Orange Bowl. A number of those are allocated to the playoffs. The remainder, you get an automatic bid for that. Now, unfortunately, what that means is you are likely, as a group of five team, to be playing one of these really huge teams that is highly ranked that mm-hmm. just missed the playoffs. You know, for right now, that would mean, like, Texas yeah, right. or, you know, like, Alabama. Like, mm-hmm. it's not impossible for us to have an Alabama Air Force bowl game like cotton bowl game or sugar bowl game like that could happen and so i'll take the safe money and say that when they come up against a blue blood program that they're probably gonna take the loss sure fair okay so i have another uh bucks question for you okay our new guy damien right the new absolutely he is i'm telling you as i'm driving i drove to humane society today right there must have been three billboards three or four billboards of him with something going on on the billboard, but it was him, you know, and it was just funny that he's the flavor of the week, you know, that kind of thing. It's just hilarious. Hardly the flavor of the week. The Bucks mortgage their future. Yeah, I, I know, I know. It's, it's, the, it's all or nothing. So I have another Giannis and Damien question. Who do you think is going to get more court time this year? Oh, it's Giannis. Damien is 32, 33 years old. The two games he's played in, he's not been a complete defensive liability, but his defense is suspect in some spots and some Mm -hmm. of that might have just been like he was the only guy on offense in portland Giannis is an all-world player on both sides of the court when the game is devastatingly close Mm -hmm. the the guy you need on the floor is Giannis because you can rely on him on both sides of that offense and defense to go make the play that you need now if you have both of them on the you're giving the ball to dame and saying you make the best decision for how we're going to go get those points. But on defense, you tell Giannis, you do what you have to do to make sure that that ball does not go in the bucket. 
Those are my five. All right. Wow. Show close time. Awesome. Easy show. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements. Yeah, so a lot of Underworlds previews and pre-orders, some Middle-Earth strategy battle game stuff. The Horus Heresy console, you know, guy that was delayed is going to be up for, finally up for pre-order now. Didn't I see um, some kind of squat thing? There's some yeah, space dwarf? Yeah, there's uh, Necromunda. Yeah, okay. Necromunda guy. The other games. And I'm sure the people where those are their favorite games are always sick of me being like, why doesn't he pay attention to this? I'm like, I, sorry, I, I really can't be bothered. I don't know anything about this and I don't have any plans to. Q&A, anything? I got several questions, but I picked oh, one from Travis. Yeah. He asked both of us from okay. our recent tournaments, what list at, at both of our tournaments did we feel was most interesting or most inspiring? And it doesn't have to be an army list that you played, just one that you mm. saw at the events. Mm-hmm. And I'll start because I've had a longer chance to think about it. There was a player, he ended up going two and three, who brought a Avangori list built around Nagash. So it was like a Vangorian Lord, a couple of big monsters. I thought it was really interesting. I thought there were some really cool tech pieces. He was playing for hard mode at Vault mm-hmm. Wars. You know, so far from a tournament winning list, but it had some really cool tech pieces that I thought were interesting. And then mm. Nick True and Nick Raverty both got the chance to play him. So I got an in-depth recap of <laughs> how it played and what it did. And seeing the list on the, you know, obviously on the, the big list of lists, I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting one. It played similarly in terms of like what it was trying to do now, obviously against Expeditionary Force, which Nick mm. True had. You're not going to hold up to that many guns in many instances, especially when you miscast on Mystic Shield as your first spell <laughs> in the second battle round. I guess so. Which you have no experience with, I'm sure, Dan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I really like that list. I thought it was very, very, very interesting. I don't know that I would play it, but I liked what it was trying to do. Okay. I was really interested in the spider list. I thought that was fascinating. I mean, just the fact that there were four Ragnaroks in that list. I'm going, oh my gosh, four of them. And then there was, a lot. there was just a bazillion spiders. I, I mean, I would say there was at least 20, maybe more spiders in that list. And it was just so cool to see somebody playing that. Because you, know, you just don't see that. You don't see a pure spider list anywhere. And so that list, I thought, was really, really interesting. And it wasn't, you know, something that had come out recently. It wasn't like a net list or anything. It just was something he put together, and I would love to see it played. My quick question from Alan was, is Durthu dead? That was it. <laughs> is Durthu dead? <laughs> and I would say to Alan that, I think not just Belthanos, but I think there are a lot of ways, several, not like a bazillion ways, but there are several ways to spend 350 points in a Sylvaneth army that would be more reliable and could still do reasonable amounts of damage than Durthu. Episode 133, we're going to talk about the next Dawnbringers book. We'll do Dawnbringers 3. We got four armies of renown to cover, two new heroes. Mm-hmm. It'll be a good time to talk about the Maw Pit War Scroll. We obviously didn't when the Warcry box came out because it's not really something we do. Nope. Yeah, I think you've got two interesting armies of renown. Mm-hmm. One really bad one and one that, like, you know, maybe. There's no expeditionary force this time around, I promise. <laughs> we'll express our opinions, certainly on these so that's it for episode 132 brendan thanks so we're great catching up buddy yeah you too um, 
you know, we'll record before you leave for Worlds, so that'll be oh good. Oh boy, hear, yeah, I got some decisions to make. Hear how that's going as we get closer. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair answer. Listeners, as always, thank you for coming along, for your patience, and for enjoying the show. We really appreciate it. Sometimes we don't understand why, but God, we love you. We're, we're glad you come along. With that, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye. This is the end.